I showed him the green light and it worked. Um, our beloved Ken, uh, unfortunately this morning, has his father fell and unfortunately wounded himself pretty severely. So please keep Ken in your prayers as he, like many of us who are dealing with uh, elderly parents, now has to be there and be available to kind of walk his dad through the situation. So yes, that's where Ken is. Also this morning, if you're wondering where Jeannie and Charlie is, I mean, it's just not the same place without Jeannie and Charlie. They never miss. They're actually watching right now from Egypt. So hello, Cairo. Hello, Egypt. Uh, I think that's the furthest away. Yeah, I think that's going to beat your Belinda or uh, Huntington Beach. Yeah, I think that's going to win. Uh, it's kind of fun when Mark gives me the data of who's actually watching online. You know, we're such a small Costa Mesa Eastside church and you think that's kind of it, but it's like the Philippines. Uh, there's places all over from Costa Rica, obviously Don and, and Jill are out there watching. But wherever people have friends and family of the church, they seem to tell their siblings or their family members. And then those people come online and watch too. So, so who's ever out there watching, uh, God bless you. Wish you could be here. Uh, I think a hug is not the same in person as it is over the internet. So there's your internet hug if that helps you. But uh, come on in, get a donut, see what's happening around the church. And speaking of what's happening around the church, um, part of what, when I came on last week, and thank you guys for Vision Week and for getting our elders situated, John and Marley are actually going to be doing uh, communion at the end in the back. Um, part of the situation I feel like God's calling me to is like a care ministry. And so let me just share with you really quick, just two minutes on this. So we have grief share in the church. Uh, Leslie does that. You could stand really quick, Leslie. An angel up in the sound booth is helping her with that. Um, there's actually going to be one coming up in March. If you're going through any kind of grief, we, it's an, kind of a nationally based program. And she can walk you through the processes of kind of how to deal with grief, loss of a spouse, whatever the situation might be. Really exciting ministry in the church. Along with that, Michelle Tizon. Is Michelle in-house today? No? Michelle has been helping us with the food ministry. She's back there somewhere? Across the street. Okay, well, she's standing across the street. So getting food to people that are going through, you know, just have a surgery or something like that. So that's been a real blessing. Along with our women's ministry and all these other ministries, it feels like the only thing that I'm missing is we have some shut-ins now. And in case you didn't know that, like Robert Bell, for instance. You guys all remember and love Robert Bell. He used to try to run us over every Sunday morning as he was parking. Uh, now that's taken over by Terry, my beloved sister, wherever you are. Um, but Robert, you know, he's, he's been away from the church for a while. And so Byron gets to see him. Steve gets to see him. A couple onesie twosies get to see him. But I was thinking about maybe making a team of people that could help me help some of the people that I know are out there. I have some widows down here on 18th Street, Janie and Linda that I like to go see. Um, and I end up putting myself in a couple awkward positions when it's just me with, with, with the widows and stuff like that. So if God maybe put something on your heart to help maybe join a care ministry. So Barbara, our beloved Barbara Ashton, you guys know her, used to come in the golf cart. She has stage, stage five cancer right now. She's at a, a home down in Huntington Beach. I went down just to go say hi to see her this week, and it, it was about an hour and a half, the visitation. And then I just realized something like, I don't have an hour and a half to do that, but yet that's what it needed. That's the time that she needed just to process where she's at of life. And so I really want to just put that out there. I feel like God's calling me. So the connection cards are there for your prayers, for all the different things you're going through. But if you would like to join, and then maybe I can get those different ministries to all sit in one room and kind of Maybe we even put a website together for the church, a care ministry website. So if someone needs a visitation, if someone wants a communion, if someone just wants, you know, flowers, or if someone wants some food, there's a, an avenue and a resource through the church to kind of help them. Because I'm the kind of shepherd where if something needs to be done and, and I make one or two phone calls and I can't get it done, I'm going. You know what I'm saying? I mean, at the end of the day, I'll work Saturday, I'll work su Sunday night, I'll work whatever I have to do. But 
It has to be done. And so we have a, a little bit older church, and so I just want to put that out there. If you guys thinking about it, write on the connection card and say, hey, I'd like to get involved, and then I'll get the people that need to be making the calls to you, and we'll figure that out. Because I think it's time that the church continues to take care of its, uh, its own. Also, to let you know some other exciting things this morning is um, I'm getting into chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually gets to finish the wall today. So for those of you that think Nehemiah is going to be building forever, he gets to finish the wall today. We're actually in chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And I also want to let you guys know that Bill is continuing to heal. For those of you on the Bill check, Bill is continuing to heal and watching and online. And he's actually m way ahead of his um, timeline. So Bill, I know you're out there watching and we miss you and uh, hope to see you all soon. All right, so besides the fact that Nehemiah is going to be done with the wall today, I want you to realize something. It seems like at some point in time, Nehemiah deserves a break. Like from the very beginning when he started to build the wall, it was ready for him, right? His buddy Sanballat, his buddy Tobiah, and then even Geshem, his other third buddy, decided to join in. And the nitpicking naysayers started from the very beginning to kind of start complaining and kind of maybe poke at the wall a little bit and say, hey, do you really need to do this? This wall has been down for 70 years. I mean, are you guys sure you want to build a wall like that? You remember when Rod was teaching, I think if the foxes jump on your wall, it would just fall over. I mean, maybe you should just let this whole process kind of go to waste. And Nehemiah never stops. He just keeps working through that. And, and each chapter has kind of gone on to last week where chapter five, he found out that there was a problem in the land. There's a famine. There's a bunch of stuff happening and, and people are starting to take advantage of their own people. How are they doing it? Well, the Jews have already been told in Deuteronomy, if you lend money to a brother or a sister, fellow Jew, you can't do it with interest. You can't take advantage of somebody who's going through hardship, especially if it comes to their vineyards or their household or their, their source of income, even their family members, and yet it's actually taking place. And so the, as the brothers and sisters are taking advantage of the brothers and sisters, chapter 5 ended with Nehemiah saying, man, I've gone through nitpicking and naysaying, complaining, you know, external, external issues with sand ballot to buy it. Now we're going through internal issues with our own people. Come on, Lord, it's got to end at some point. And as we get to chapter six today, not only does it not end, but it ramps up. You guys ever notice that? You're just waiting for the Lord to say enough is enough. And when you kind of feel like you've threshold and kind of done everything you could possibly do to get through a situation, it ramps up again. And what we're going to find in chapter six today is it gets personal slander, malice, and personal threats. So before I even pray this morning, I just want to remind you guys something. Hey, if Nehemiah is showing us something, if Nehemiah, if the word of God is going to teach us something, then before you even have a chance to hear or learn something today, if Nehemiah showed me something, I want to share it with you already in advance. If you're doing something for the kingdom of God, obstacles and oppositions are part of the way of affirming that. If you're doing something for the kingdom of God, then obstacles and oppositions are part of that. If your life is kind of carefree and happy, then I would pray this morning that you would ask God, why is my life so carefree and happy? Because maybe that's not the blessing you think it is. And that, to me, is an epiphany. That was something that God shared with me this week. Pastor Jeff, Jeff, as a human being, with all the stuff you have going on, would you be able to reconsider the fact that obstacles and oppositions are a fact of blessing? I said, Lord, how are they a blessing? I'm worn out, I'm tired, I feel like I'm chasing my tail because they're an affirmation that something for the kingdom of God is happening and the devil is trying to thwart that effort. Does that make sense? It's a little bonus before we even get started. Let me pray and ask God to be part of this. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 15. Father God, this morning, as we prepare for communion and all the different things that happen with the beginning of a month, I just want to first and foremost thank you for just walking us through Vision Week and just the reality that I think you're going to help the church get simple. 
Go back to where we need to be, Father, to the idea that we hold fast and we stand firm in the word of God. And that we believe, Father, that the great commission and the great commandment are simple enough that we can wake up every morning and look in the mirror and just simply say, hear my Lord, you know, send me, use me. And may whatever it is that the kingdom of God requires, whatever that endeavor is, Father, whatever the obstacle and opposition is that's going to come and stand against me, Father, I just pray right now for every believer here, every believer watching, close and far away, Father, that you would once again empower your children to believe that the same spirit that built that church in the book of Acts is the same spirit that's available to us today. And may the shalom of God, may the peace of God, Father, be ever flowing and, and free flowing in this place that we might be reminded we are so much better together than we will ever be alone we need one another we we were built for community and between the church and between our small groups and between our life groups and even ministry father the fact that we're out there serving other people every time we do that we're just reminded that in this life you will have trouble you will have trials but take heed i have overcome this world i think that's the blessing that we need this morning father so Bless us, get rid of the distractions, and may we hear clearly and proficiently from the word of God this morning. We ask in your son's precious and holy name, amen. All right, I promised my wife I would do a quick review. So chapters one through four, if you're doing a Nehemiah overview. Chapter one is the call. It's exclusively about the call. It's about Nehemiah realizing, okay, you're a sommelier, you're a wine tester, you're a food eater for the king, and you've been given privilege, and you have this amazing life. You were born in captivity, Everything you know about your life is splendor, okay? Yeah, you have to risk your life every day to eat the king's food, but you've been given this great and wonderful position. So all that means is when I called you now, though, I need you to set it all down and go build. And he's like, you know what, Lord? I don't build. This is what I do. Are you sure you want? Yes, I am sure. That's why I'm the Lord. Set it down. Go build. Nehemiah makes peace with that. He prays about it. He processes it. Because in order to tell the king, remember, he has to tell the king, if he doesn't tell the king and get the king's favor, he not only could lose his job, but he could lose his life. He finds favor and he gets to go. But from the very beginning, from the very onslaught of his call, the, the, the forces were working against him. And those forces in the beginning, like I said, external, just kind of nitpicking naysayers, poking and prodding, seeing if they can find a weakness in his resolve. It wasn't there. He presses on. He goes all the way through that to, to getting to the internal problems of last week. Now, just a reminder about internal problems. If your family or your friends have a problem with you, have you ever noticed that it's a lot more painful to deal with, right? Because we don't protect ourselves from the inside. If we're really good about doing anything, we protect ourselves from the outside. We're always assuming that's where the real hurt's going to come from, the world. But sometimes it's our actual friends, it's our actually family members that have that carte blanche, kind of free entry, free range into our lives, and they come in and say something. And maybe they had good intentions, and maybe they really felt like it was from the Lord. Well, we're going to find out today that there's someone in here, I think verse 10, Shamil, the prophet, supposed prophet's going to come in and say, this is what we should do, kind of like the Lord said. But even sometimes people who say the Lord said is not necessarily of the Lord. And so Nehemiah has to say, hey, look, people group, let's go back to Deuteronomy. We're not supposed to be lending to one another with interest. We're not supposed to be taking advantage of people that are going through hardship. Let's cut this out and get back to what God calls us to do and keep on building all the way to this point, to, to the point of slander, intimidation, and malice. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've reached that point in your ministry where you're doing something and affecting someone else's to such a degree that when they see you, they decide that the only way that they're going to impede you from doing God's business is to actually slander or ma be malice to you. Um, I don't know if you've had that privilege or not, and I call it a privilege because you must really be ramping your game up for the other side to see you in such a way as to say, hey, 
the only way we're going to get this person off point, the only way I'm going to derail this person from doing the thing that God is having them do is to go at them. And I happen to be one of those people that um, happen to do a lot of driving right now. And I feel like just in driving alone, if I don't let people in and be a really courteous driver, like just that alone, there's so much tension in people that people can get violent, like literally violent just as they're driving. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what can I do to get them off his game? Well, something like that would instantly get you off your game. So be prepared to reconsider the fact that if someone is kind of going at you, whatever today, what you're going to see, even with a personal attack with Nehemiah, the personal attack at some point actually goes to physical threats against him. It's literal, literal, they want to kill him. Nehemiah's response is going to be the same. I'm doing a great thing here, verse 3. I'm doing a great thing here. I can't get off the wall. I got to stay building. So just another encouragement to you guys. If the enemy distracts us, if the enemy divides us, if the enemy does anything to slow or impede our call, that's as close to a victory as he gets. Let me say that again, okay? If the enemy can distract you, over here, right? Over here. If the, if the enemy can slow you, Anything he can to impede, slow what God has called you to do is a victory for him because that's as good as it gets. He knows he's already beat. He's not, he's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He can't be everywhere all the time. So all of us don't have a right to say the devil made me do it because that's impossible. He, he's, he's not in that position to be able to do that. So we have to know what we're up against and remember one thing. Keep your head down. Keep on building. I'm going to try to read this verse, and of course, I forgot my glasses today, so I apologize for the squinting in, view, in advance, but uh, so be it. How about this? One last thing. For the visual learners and the non-visuals, for the visual learners, I want you to close your eyes for a second, and I'm going to read a passage to you, because you're, you're actually fighting something right now. You're going up against something, and you don't even understand what it is. So let me read for you Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, okay? Father God, I just pray this morning once again that you would just open our eyes to the reality that the distractions, the obstacles, the, uh, the opportunities to see all these different things, Father, is we need to be in a spiritual mindset like Nehemiah was. In order to accomplish these things that you're asking us to do, we need to be in that spiritual mindset. We don't see it, we don't think about it, but we know what's going on. Help us to see it to understand it, and to make the most of it this morning, in Jesus' name. This is why the, the struggle is so great. You don't think about what, why does someone care if I go to church? Why can't I just wake up and go to church? Every Sunday, I try to check in with people. I try to find out what your struggle is. And you're just going to church now is a huge struggle. Why? Because we work so hard all week long. We get up so early all week long, and the very thing that gets to Sunday, it's like, I just want one day to just sit and relax. And it seems so simple and innocent and honest. But I got to tell you, when I read a passage like that, Ephesians, it sets my mind up to realize something. Everything that we're doing is against the wind. It's against the odds, right? As spiritual beings, uh, you're spiritual whether you're not, as a spiritual being who's following Christ, you only have one great call to go and make, right? We've already discussed that pretty thoroughly. If you're not going and making, if you're, if you're staying and sleeping, that's a victory for the other side. And you're saying, well, that's no big deal. It's only one day. It always takes one behavior. You don't just wake up and become a drug addict. You don't wake up and become thoroughly depressed or full of anxiety. None of those things just happen overnight. Things take time. And so you need to be realizing something. We are in a battle. We are in a struggle like Nehemiah. It's not just because Nehemiah is building a wall. It's because all of us are being building a wall. All of us have a call in our life. All of us have something that God has directed us to. 
And I'm just wondering this morning, here's another good question for you. What are you willing to do for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? And I tell you that because I think back to me, to the church that I grew up in, giant church. It was maybe 5,000 people when we started, and it's probably 15 or 20,000 today. But it was a church in the high desert that was famous for going down to Mexico. And we supported a place called Casa del Dios, and it's an orphanage for um, runaways, like small children and abused women. And the church would go down there and go down there once a year, once a year, once a year, once a year. And I was probably in my college age years, and I wanted to go down there with them. And we took like two vans and one truck and then one trailer. And we would go down there and do a carnival. And I speak Spanish. If you didn't know that, it's, it's not too amazing, but it's proficient. And it's three days, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, we pass out clothes. Some, all the tables are set up in different sizes, clothes and shoes. And it was something they had done over and over again. And so I was really excited to go down there. And this particular time we were trying to cross the border, the border got so backed up we couldn't get across. And these guys had gone down there time and time again, so they knew other ways. And we just slid across and found another way in. And sure enough, our group was lucky enough to go through, exciting as it was. And that was the day the federales were checking that alternative entry point in. Now, if you've not had the pleasure of meeting federales before, they are armed, well-armed security-like police force down there that are either really good or not nice. And we got the not nice ones that day. And here's a group of two van loads full of volunteers and then two guys driving the truck with carnival stuff, shoes and clothes, just church people. And if you could have seen the, the look in people's faces, because we had like vans that were big enough that you could walk into and walk down the center aisle, armed people walking up and down the thing, and they're asking each one of us, did we pay an entry? Did we pay to go do this thing? Did we pay your permits? And we're like, permits? We've been doing this for years. And at some point it got a little ugly, and there was definitely some jewelry, money, these just exchanges that were going on that were just like, whatever, whatever God's going to do, we got to do. And after that, everyone got in one bus, and the bus driver, the guy, the pastor, Paul, he says to all of us, I know that what you guys just went through was traumatic, and we now have an option. Do you guys want to go down there? I mean, it's only Thursday night. By the way, that just took like four hours of our time, so now it's evening. It was super late. Do you guys want to go down there and finish what God has called us to do, or do you want to go home? And either answer is okay, and you have a right to either choice. But I, I, I'm not going to make this decision. That was just too traumatic of an incident. And one of the ladies in the back of the bus, who was definitely one of the people who had to pay something or give something, who was traumatized, said, hey, look, we were called to go do this. And nothing should stop us from going down there and finishing that call. Now, I'm going to finish the end of the day with the story of what happened when we finally got down there, because God blessed us above and beyond. But he got even better at the end, so wait for the very end, and I can share with that just before communion. I'm not going to give you the best everything. You came for a reason, you got to wait. It gets better. Better than guns and violence. Yes, because that one lady spoke for all of us, and that was the strength that we needed. We needed one person to say, I'm not coming off the wall. This is a great call that we've been to. We're going to finish what God has put us. So, All right, here we go. Full group reading, 1 through 15, with no eyes and glare. One more shot of water. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, remember the three amigos right there, right? The Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and there was not a gap left in it, though up to that time I had not put the doors in the gates in. Sanballat and Geshem sent the message, Come, let us meet in one of the villages on the plains of, oh no, I thought that was ominous when I read it in my office because I just read, oh, no, first. I'm like, no, it's like, oh, no. 
Anyways, this is me thinking out loud. They were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I picture him standing on the wall, right? Because the verbiage there, standing on the wall, telling him, I'm not coming down for that. Why should, why should the work stop, and why should I leave it to go down to you, right? Once again, that verbiage, like, I'm up here. I'm doing this. I'm not going down there. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave him the same answer. Five. The fifth time, Sanballat sent his uh, aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. I'll go over that in a couple minutes. What's an unsealed letter? It was re- and it was reported among the nations, and Gesem says it's true. Of course, Gesem says it's true. He's one of the guys, right? That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. That's, in other words, he's making an accusation, a public accusation. You're, you're, you're building this wall for different reasons. Moreover, according to these reports about you, you're trying to become the king, and you've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There, there is the king of Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let's meet together. Oh man, this guy. I sent this reply, verse 8. Nothing of what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking the hands would get too weak for the work, and it would not be accomplished. So I prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. Now one day I went down to the house of Shema, son of Delilah, son of Methelbel, and was who was a shut-in at, the, at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because, why? Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And he'd been there to intimidate me so I would commit a sin by doing this, going into the temple, and then they would get, you know, have a bad name to discredit me. 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. And the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elu in the 52 days. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty incredible account of the story, and yet within those verses, there's a whole bunch of other stories to be told. So I just feel like the first thing you have to realize is in that first verse, the nitpicking naysayers have been continually going, continually trying, and yet through it all, in 52 days, he rebuilt something that's been down for 70 years. In 52 days, the Somalia, the king's cupbearer, zero construction experience, has rebuilt two and a half miles of wall. Uh, you guys, some of you guys are starting to see the picture out there in the foyer that Jeannie brought from Jerusalem when she bought it. That wall, the, the current wall is a little bit longer than the wall they built, but still two and a half miles. Next time you get in your car and you're going down Newport, just look at your odometer and go two and a half miles, because that's ultimately how big of a wall. Two and a half miles of stone, 40 foot tall, which is probably close to our rafters, 40 foot tall and eight foot wide, which is probably three chairs, three and a half chairs. That is a monumental undertaking, Right? And he has done it all with a bunch of people that are also not construction people, but yet called to do what the Lord has done. And times they've actually had to build, it was so bad, with their hands on their swords, right? One hand building, because that's what it was like, the threat of, of all this. And yet he's, he's kept his head down, beginning, middle, and now the end. It's like, once you learn to trust God in all things, I love that kind of concept too, pray without ceasing, because you need to trust God in all things, in all aspects, then regardless how the enemy continues to ramp it up, 
slander and malice and now actual physical threats. If you've been trusting God in everything, all, to, all the time, all day, you're going to be able to maintain that thing because the potential for calamity is going to, as soon as you say yes to the Lord, then the potential for calamity has entered your life. How many people remember the week they accepted the Lord and the excitement they had about, yes, I'm going to accept the Lord and everything's going to be great and sin's going to disappear and, and then I'm going to start walking on water and I'm going to be able to heal things. It's like, no. I hope someone led you to the Lord and said, hey, look, from this point on, it's going to get really ugly. It's going to get really sticky. But you know what's going to happen now? Because of the power of the Spirit of God in you, you're going to persevere. Right? I think too much of what you see in religion now that's around us is people selling people this, come to Jesus, rub the Jesus lamp, and get all your stuff answered and have the best life ever. I don't know about you. Any of you having your best life ever right now? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not having my best life. I deal with pain and suffering, and I can barely watch the TV for five minutes without turning on the golf channel that my one-year-old grandson put on, and I'm still watching and paying $47 an extra month for it. I'm loving it. Thank you, <laughs> grandson. For My new sports package is basically golf. I, there's nothing happening on the golf channel that's offensive to me. or any. It's like I just want to tune my brain out. If I see another thing about a, an MD down in Laguna Beach riding his bike on PCH after a hard day's work, being run over by a car, viciously run over, and as if that's not enough, as people run in the man's aid, the individual runs him over, runs up and stabs him. I can't watch that kind of stuff. That, that stuff baffles my brain. That's somebody's husband, that's somebody's wife, that's somebody's grandparent. And yet that's the world we live in. We're like, okay, now channel six in the news. It's like, I can't do that. I don't know how people can do that, right? This stuff that's going on is real, and we have to stay focused about the call on the wall, because why? Because these people are just going to adjust their tactics. They're going to continue to find ways to kind of numb us. I think all this uh, occult stuff that's on the TV, all this kill people, kill human beings, kill zombies, all this stuff is just softening us to kind of be distracted to what the world's doing today. And then all of a sudden, we're just like, fire, fire, you know, fire, and we just sit there and we yell fire all day long church, I'm telling you right now, a couple more verses, we're going to get this. We are not called to be firemen. We are called to be farmers, right? I'm not to that point yet, so I'm going to have to hold on that, but big difference between a fireman and a farmer. Because why? Because they want us to come down off our wall and go to the plains of Ono, right? They want us to come down on the place of, of safety. When someone gets you to get, go away from church, when someone find something with your life group that makes it you don't want to go back there anymore when someone can take you away from the place that you're meant to be this is where we're meant to be we we get our strength and our encouragement here so that we can go back out into the place that's foreign to us right we're not of this world so we go back out there but we come here for strength if they can say hey come out come over here come over here it'll be fine i'm going to talk to you it's dangerous for us to be alone it's dangerous for think we're getting we can figure this thing out on our own we're much better, and Nehemiah says, no, I know what I'm doing. I know where I need to be, and I need to be on this wall. As long as I'm on this wall, then whatever you guys do, whatever happens is fine. We will work through it, but we're going to continue to put rocks down on this wall until it's built. And if you go to the plains of Ono, not only is it going to be bad, but think about what happens to a project when the leader gets taken. I think back to that bus, and I still don't know, I don't remember that lady's name. It was a church with a zillion people. I just remember it was a woman. There was a woman that was definitely at gunpoint, and there was some kind of exchange, and she was the one that said, hey, look, we were called to go down there. It's not the kid's fault. It's not the abused women's fault that we're going down to bless. We were called to go down there. We're going down there. Yeah, we're going down there a little less affluent than what we had to give, but we're going down there. Because if you get off the wall, church, if you get off your call, you're in big trouble. So he says to them in verse 3, and I think verse 3 is the key verse, what I am doing here, I am carrying on a great project 
Why should I go? And I, I would think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Why do we leave our first love? Why do we leave the thing that God has called us to? If God called you to do something and there was a time and place in your life where you were doing it and you were kind of in your groove and kind of all cylinders were firing and you were kind of seeing yourself in ministry and how it all works, why did you leave it? What was the individual that caused that problem or that conundrum that was so great that all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I, don't do, I can't do that anymore? I can remember I talked to a couple of families a couple of years ago and one of my, my parents who actually was, they, were, they came to a church that played a video on a Sunday service. Just a video, but it was a video of like the outside world. And the video was played in the church. And I remember talking to my parents afterwards, and it was like, for them, that was so shocking. To them, that kind of broke the sacred vow of what the church was and all these different things. And I was like, Mom, it was just a video, you know? Maybe it was the Three Amigos. I think it was actually the Three Amigos or whatever. It's like, it's like what is the thing that stops you from doing this great call in your life? I mean, fire, fire, fire. I get that there's fires burning. But what is it? That you were called to go do this. Go build the wall. In rain? Yes. In rain. In snow? Yes. In wind? Yes. In s- yes. All the elements are going to come and go. Your job? Go build the wall. What about this? Doesn't matter. That could happen. Go build the wall, right? I just feel like that's such a simple thing for me. I mean, go make disciples. Doesn't matter what happens in the world because your enemies are going to be like four times. Hey, come on down. Come on down. Come on down. You have someone in your life that's telling you, come on over, or I want to talk to you. You have that pushy friend who's like, come on, come on, come on. Well, here's what I learned about pushy people. Pushy people are pushy because they know something. They have a timeline on when they can have influence in your life. So they're going to do everything they can. to kind. Of, it's going to be a real crisis for them. Come on, let's go. I'm ready. And you're like, you know what? Maybe from now on you should just realize that the pushy people in your life are going to come and the pushy people in your life are going to go. And they're going to be just as pushy in somebody else's life. Maybe it's not up to you at this particular point of your ministry to be that person for them. And maybe you say, you know what, Lord, I push this one back to you. Have your way with them. And I'm going to keep building the wall. And whoever jumps on the wall with me, that's who I'm going to mentor. And that's who I'm going to disciple. And for whatever Ecclesiastes 3 time and season I have with them, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk with them and I'm going to talk with them. And I'm going to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love their community. But Father, we're just going to make disciples. Whoever wants to walk in this like-mindedness of the call that you're giving me, that's what I'm going to do. Push, push. Come on, let's meet. Come on, let's go. Hey, I got to talk to you. Sometimes you can't even realize what a distraction it can be when you're in the midst of a battle, like you're in the midst of a spiritual war and you're kind of focused on something and someone says, hey, I need to talk to you. And by the way, I just want to apologize. On Sundays in particular, I know I'm really hard to talk to because there's so much stuff going on. I would just say this. Just be considerate of this. It's possible today that someone's in this building that we all don't know. It's possible today that the person that we don't know that's in this building may have a life and death crisis. And it's possible that God is speaking to someone so powerfully that you might be in the middle of that conversation as well as myself. And so just be considerate of the fact that we don't know what we're actually stepping into. We don't know what we're actually impeding by just breaking in really quick. Trust God. Build the wall that God has called you to do and give peace to people because just because someone's saying, hey, I need to talk to you, hey, I need to talk to you, hey, I need to talk to you, doesn't mean you need to change everything you're doing. Verse 6 and 7 tells us, In the end, all that was was a personal attack. In the end, all they really wanted to do was physically harm him. Remember, if they can distract you, okay, over here. If they can they dissuade you from staying focused just for a few minutes, anything so that the wall's not being built, it's a victory for them, and it kind of encourages them. And Nehemiah says, hey, Nothing about what's going to happen and nothing about what you're saying or doing is going to stop me. So you can make all the accusations you want, 
but I'm doing a great work. Have you really thought about what you're doing today? Do you feel like what you're doing for the kingdom of God is a great work? Maybe that's been stolen from you. So let me restore this call to all of you as I kind of look the crowd over and tell each one of you, do you realize that each one of you is called to a great work? Where you are in your family, the grocery store that you shop in, the people that you work with, that's your call. Those are your people. They're not mine. I don't know them. They don't know me. They know you. And you have a ministry exclusively to them that's a great call. If you could repurpose in your mind that when you left this building today, you're not just a builder, you're the builder, you're Nehemiah, and that your job is to go back into your oikos, into your world, into the, the world that God has given you influence and significance in and say, hey, you know what? I'm doing a great work in this call. And because I'm doing a great work, I'm not going to let anything get me down from the wall, even if they go to name-calling, slanderous, and accusations. Why is it a problem? Remember when he said an unsealed letter? Remember that part? And I said, I'll get to that. How do letters come 2,000 years ago when they're important? Sign with the king's insignia ring, right? That's how you sign. Everyone, there was a way that a letter came when it was significant. It was wax melting on the left and right sides of the tab. You pull the tab over, you melt wax on the two pieces, and then it's called the insignia ring. Whoever the dignitary is sending it, it usually has something to make a stamp into the wax sealed. Then, if it's really important, it's carried in a silk sash, okay? That's a significant letter meant to be between me and you. Private, sealed information, not shared. Unsealed just seems like one word, but what does unsealed actually mean 2,000 years ago? Internet. Public information. It was opened along the way. It was read along the way. Big difference, right? This letter was meant to stir up, a, stir up accusations. This letter was meant to stir up cause, hey, did you hear? Did you hear what Nehemiah's doing? Yeah, they're not building the wall to make Jerusalem great. No, no, he's building the wall because he's telling everyone he's going to be a king. Oh, yeah, Gershom told me. Down in Jerusalem, there's even prophets saying that, that Nehemiah is going to be the king. Gossip and slander. I mean, you think any of this is new? All we've done with the Internet is create like a worldwide web where we can just gossip, you know? I remember pastor, my pastor told us years ago when Better Housekeeping came out, he, he told all the women in the church, because he assumed guys weren't reading it, women, I want to say something to you. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, this is the craziest thing. I still remember yesterday, please do not buy Better Housekeeping. And they're like, huh? Just came out? Like, I want to know what's going on. He's like, it seems so simple. But what are they really saying inside of that ma ma magazine? What's being actually said to you when you've got Better Housekeeping, Better Homes, Better Kitchens than who? than you. And all you're going to do when you open that magazine, now you just paid them and support, right, to, to look at that thing, and all you just did when you opened that up is realize how people have so much more than you, and how their stuff is so much better than you, and you better start upgrading your stuff as soon as possible, and change your shel shelves to shaker shelves, or whatever it is. So we have one kitchen guy, or Stevie, if you guys want to talk to kitchens, right? It, better homes than you, better kitchens than you. It's a distraction. Oh no. Come over here. Look at this. What you have is not good enough. If you did this and put some lighting on it, oh, wouldn't that be better? Now all of a sudden your house is completely destroyed. You can't go to church. You can't have your small group, your ministry. Anything we can do is you say, Pastor Jeff, a kitchen remodel? Yeah, anything. Anything can be used to impede you from building that wall. And Nehemiah says to him, you know what? This is what I say to that. Nothing you say is true. 
You completely made it up in your head, verse 8. Lies, accusations. I think he probably said something different. This sounds like an edited version to me, right? If I'm standing on a wall with a bunch of people building something, the guy's down there making slanderous accusations. Oh, you just wanted this church, and you wanted to be the senior so you could build it and sell it. And be If someone's just making you probably want to share with them some thoughts, right? I mean, at some point, you feel like, I need to defend myself. No defenders in here. I'm the only person that thinks like that. And he just says, hey, look, none of what you're saying, none of what you're saying is true. None of it. Matter of fact, it's absolute lies. We're going to do a great thing here, and you're just trying to frighten us, and you're trying to weaken our hands. And what's the problem with weak hands? Well, weak hands can't build. So what does Nehemiah do? You know what? I see what the address is. You're trying to weaken our hands. You're trying to distract us. He goes back into prayer. Father God, just be with these people right now as they hear these things. Not only strengthen our resolve, Father, but strengthen our hands that the work would increase, that we'd be able to do better work, stronger work for you. He doesn't try to defend himself. How much of our time is spent trying to defend ourselves? You guys spend a lot of time trying to defend yourself? Coming up, we're almost to it. Firemen versus farmers, coming up. Why? Because verses 10 through 13, little sidebar. He says, all of a sudden, this guy, Shemaiah, is telling me the story about what we should do and how much danger I'm in. And Shemaiah says, hey, matter of fact, you're in so much danger. Let's run down to the church, open up the church, get inside it, and then close the church and lock the church so you'll be safe. Except for he doesn't say church, he says temple. You guys know anything about the temple? Do you know that there's only one person? It it sounds like he's saying we're going to go to the temple and hide in this particular room. It sounds to me like he's talking about the Holy of Holies. It sounds to me like he's talking about going to a place at the temple that nobody's supposed to go. Well, one person go, the, the, the... the priest, the chief priest can go once a year, right? He can go in that place once a year because it's where the ark is. It's where the presence of the Lord is, right? And he can go in there once a year, and he goes under there in pretenses, a rope around his leg, woven rope, and then he has like 65 to 95. I'm not sure how many, but he has a ton of pomegranate little bells all over him. And the bells indicate that as he's praying and asking God to forgive Israel, that he's still alive. Because anybody who goes into the holy of holies and isn't holy, sometimes the bells stop ringing. And that signified to them that Israel was in trouble and that God was not going to hear their prayers for the earth. But it also signified the only way to get them out, pull that rope. You open that curtain and walked in there. Do you remember the person who tried to hold the ark as it, it fell over? <sighs> Shemaiah, go to the temple and hide? Seriously? I'm building a wall out in daylight. I'm, I'm the king's cupbearer. I'm so far beyond my comfort zone, it's ridiculous. But you want me to go hide in the, king, in the temple? This is no way. I'm not doing that. I'm not, no one should do that. I don't even know why you're saying that. It makes no sense at all. And the reason why it makes no sense at all? Huh, turns out that somebody, Gershom and Sandballot are behind it again. I mean, those guys, they tried this, right? They tried this. They tried goading. And now they're just like, they're going to pay people to go say ridiculous things. Do you guys find that people say ridiculous things? Have you ever had somebody say a ridiculous thing about you? And you're like, where did that come from? Because you're wrestling with things unseen, okay? Fall all the way back to the beginning. You were wrestling with things unseen. What is wrestling? Bible wrestling is Greco-Roman wrestling. It's like grappling. If you guys have never seen people that do grappling, it's an it's a Jewish way of fighting. It's all grapple. It's all close and tight and grappling. It's extremely strenuous. Get that picture. You're wrestling with things unseen. 
with principalities of dark and light. Your mind and your, just a TV show. It's just a TV show. It's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal, really. Feed, 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 feed. Process, process, process. Speak, right? And you're like, why do I think that? Everything is resting for this thing. And he's like, go in the temple and hide. What are you talking about? Like, if we trust God with everything that we're doing, I trust God that I'm building this wall, that my enemies, if they want to come kill me, we had to build a wall with one hand and a sword. I'm not going to run and hide. If I'm meant to die, then so be it. I'm ready to die. But I'm going to die on this wall, and my blood's going to spill over this wall, and everyone building the wall is going to know something. Somebody better rise up, grab this baton, and keep building. Right? Why? Because in 52 weeks, we reconciled something that took 70 years of other Jews walking by and seeing it in the same disarray and saying, oh, isn't that a shame? And that complacency, I think about that today. How many of us are like that, seeing things about the church or seeing things about how life used to be or the golden rule or the Ten Commandments or whatever, and we're just like, oh, remember when it used to be like that? Why can't it still be like that with you? I mean, we're really hanging on to something in this church, and I was speaking with someone this morning about that. I mean, are we really hanging on to something in this church? It's like, we want to be that last place in Costa Mesa that somebody can come who hasn't been to church in a long time, where God's word is read, and we believe emphatically that God's word is alive and breathing, and that today can be your day of salvation. If you want to come down and get saved at the end of the service, praise God, it's everything I've been working for all week long. Matter of fact, when I said yes to you guys five months ago and waited for the whole process, the only thing I asked the Lord was protect my family and make this church about salvation again. Because we probably only had three or four people saved in the last five years, and most of those were already through student ministry. And I said, God has to be about salvation for me. And Wednesday night at youth group, I prayed with another student who was the fifth person to come to the Lord in five months since I've been interim senior pastor. Five. That's one a month compared to three in five years. You say, Pastor Jeff, you shouldn't be about stats and people in the seats. I still count. I, I'm still stat. I want to know that the work we're doing is worthwhile. I work for the police department, and I can tell you something. The way you find out if you're doing something effectively is to count how many people get DUIs. You know why? Because every time they stop someone from a DUI means your family got home that night safely. Because you know who people usually run into when that happens? Your family. We are protecting people. We are in a battle in this life. We are in a battle to do good. And this is not the best life we're going to get. You don't get to come to the Lord and everything is good. You need to stop that thinking because it's time for us to talk about firemen and farmers. Oh, I'm going to get a drink for this. How far am I this? I'm doing good. I'm before 11. Go hide. John, you're too big to hide. Wherever you went and hide, they would find you anyways. Justin, you're too fit to run and hide. You stand fast wherever you are. Samuel and Matthew, you already know you're the, fart. you're the smartest elementary kid in this whole church. And you teach older people how to follow God. Right? We are not firemen. Now, I am a first responder. I love the cops. I care deeply about them. And what they do every day is ridiculously amazing. And our firemen brothers are right next to us. We're in the same lot. And I can tell you something about a fireman in case you don't know. They live high-end 20 minutes a day. They have this opportunity for the bell to ring and turn everything on, all the serotonin bursts, and go out there and do one thing, put out a fire. As soon as that fire's out, you know what they do? Go back to the station and start cooking and working out again and wait till what? The next fire bell rings. Sometimes it doesn't happen, and they're perfectly fine with that. You should be too, because that means there's no fires. 
but they are just as content inside their building doing push-ups and making beautiful meals for each other as anything else. They have one job, to put out fires. Church, we are not called to be firemen. Not at all. I don't need finger pointers. Pastor Jeff, this is going on. Pastor Jeff, this is going on. Hey, did you know this is going on? Have you seen the news? Fire, fire, fire. I get it. I am a farmer, and you are a farmer. Now, let me explain why. In the, in the parable of the sower and the seed, why do you think the parable of the sower and the seed is so important? It tells us what we're supposed to be doing. Throw seeds. It's raining. Okay. It's windy. Okay. It's hot. Okay. It's cold. Okay. Sun up. Okay. Sun down. Okay. Throw seeds. Nothing can happen in our world unless somebody throws seeds. Because even once the seed is sown, there's so much that can happen, right? If we spend our life in ministry saying, fire, 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 code three. That guy's lucky, Ron. We never get to go code three. The police, only the fire guys get to go code three. That's with lights and stuff. If we sit around in the firehouse just waiting for the code three to run out and do the thing in the back and think that we've done our job, we've completely failed on everything that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People are in crisis all day, every day. And our only job is to throw seeds. Where the seed lands and how the seed grows, the parable of the sower and the seed tells us it's, it's going to be a battle. Man, I don't know about you, but I've led people to the Lord and I've seen the sower and the seed come manifest in my face where they, they spring up and they do everything they can and they go to church and they have this amazing first six months or six weeks or six years and then something happens. And they didn't get rooted and they end up walking away from it. I've seen other ones where amazing messages have been sown and people have heard and they're contemplating what they should do and the Spirit of God is moving them and, and they know they should go forward and they know they should raise their hand they know should, and, they, and, and it's stolen. And that crow, that crow in my neighborhood that just, ah, 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 why does he have to sit in a tree right outside my window and just go all day long? I'm going to take the BB gun home from church and go shoot him at some point and I'm going to be the pastor who shoots the crow because he's just outside my window and he does it all day long. Jennifer, ah, ah, why? We went out there yesterday. We found out why. There's a giant hawk in our neighborhood who's eating squirrels. And he's, he's huge. And he, that one crow is telling all the other crows, hawk, hawk, hawk. And the hawk's just sitting there like, seriously, guys? I'm not going anywhere. There, yesterday there was like 45 crows around him all going, ah, God. Little sidebar. Sorry, I got it. Farmers don't care about crows. Farmers realize the birds are going to come down and steal seeds. His job is keep throwing seeds. Church, Nehemiah got it from the starting, from the beginning, and now at the very end, it never let up on him. It changed, it mutated, it moved, and it continued the entire time. And what he did from the very beginning was trust God. And what he did in the transition was trust God. And even as the gate are waiting to be hung and the completion is in, because as we get to chapter 7, it's not over. Matter of fact, Nehemiah's life and Nehemiah's path is going to take a whole new direction. But what he learned from being a sommelier and what he learned from being the king's cupbearer was every day was just trust God. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Pray in between and allow God to be his strength. And I think that's so encouraging for me as I tell you this morning. The reality is, even as the passage ends... Verse 16 says this, When all of our enemies heard about this, the surrounding nations were afraid, and they lost their self-confidence. 
because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. At no point in that passage, in 1 through 15, or even the previous five chapters, do I see Nehemiah standing on top of the wall, yelling at people, you're going to hell. Turn or burn. Repent. The end draweth not. I see him doing none of that. I wonder sometimes how effective people think that really is to go out there and live that kind of ministry. Like, where's your resource? I'm a pastor. If it says God's word says it, then let's do it. But where is that kind of ministry in the word of God? What I see is someone doing the work that God has called to him slowly, faithfully, steadfast. And then the people put it together when this thing that was rubble for 70 years is now standing in front of them, right? Talk about a monument to God's work. And the people, are these people believers that are realizing it's God's hand? No. If you want to live an effective Christian life, in the midst of the obstacles and the opportunities, live in such a way that you're trusting God that he's going to speak even through the adversity of your life. But Pastor Jeff, you don't understand. I have a really bad tongue. And every once in a while, the world just slips out from me. And I feel like I'm cannibalizing all my ministry. And you might be. But the the truth of it is, you're not the beginning and ending of ministry. The spirit of God that's in you is the beginning and the end of ministry. So even in your frailty, even in your brokenness, you can't impede ministry. Matter of fact, that's kind of a bonus thought. If you're not being blessed for being in it right now, and you think that life is good, let me just change your perspective. I'm in it right now. It's all around me. Going and visit someone who loves church. Barbara loves church. Stay five cancer. She's, she's knocking on the door. And she hears Jesus saying, let's go. And she's like, I, I don't know what to do. And we're sitting in her little home with all the beautiful things that people have given to her. And it just comes down to this, relationships, this longing to just be with family. She loves being here. If she could be anywhere on the planet Earth on a Sunday, she would be right there between Brandon and Dee because that's her seat, and this is her church. And Mike and Clarissa invited her. She was just a lady in the neighborhood that came out. She had cancer. She moved from back home to be near her daughter here in town, and Mike and Clarissa invited her to church. And it changed everything for her. It gave her a church family. It gave her perspective. And you guys have had the privilege of walking this lady through this really adverse time. And I just want to make sure that we finished it with her. And that's why I asked you this morning about thinking about a care ministry because I can't be everywhere all the time and I can't do it all the time, but I would try. And I'm 57 and I think I have a good run left in me, but I can tell you this. There's nothing more physically straining than doing ministry for God. You guys know this for a fact. If you spend an hour in counsel with someone who's really going through it, like a marriage that's on the rocks, and you sit with one hour with them, you will feel like when you're done that you just did the most incredible workout ever. Matter of fact, the only retreat for a lot of us who know how deep that kind of ministry is, you go straight to your room and you just go to sleep. And you have to shut it all down, right? Because we're, not, we're, we're resting against things we can't see. We're resting against things we don't understand, but it's true. And just because you can't see it or understand it does not stop it from being true. Think about that. Do you really understand the Trinity? Could you give a, a detailed teaching class on the Trinity? Does it stop it from being true? No. So it's okay. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Well, what are they? They're higher, way higher. It's okay. Do what you can with what you've been given. Too much is given, much is expected. Final thought. That Casa del Dias, when we went down to Mexico that trip, That was the last trip that church that I know of ever made. 
that incident was so traumatic for those people that when word got back that the bus was not only stopped, but stopped at gunpoint and caused people to have to give of their own belongings and financially, the trauma of that thing overwhelmed the church so much that they said, you know what? We're going to have to pass. And we, they went to a money-only campaign where they just supported the church, prayed for the mission, but they no longer said, I don't know what they do or if anyone ever back. But that three days that we went down there was hotter than Tijuana's hottest recorded summer in the history of mankind. And when we got down there that Friday night, Thursday night, it, we were hot, we were tired, and the guy came out who runs the little orphanage, and he said, I can't tell you guys how thankful I am. We, we have just, we have a surprise for you. We redid the dorms, there's guy dorms and girl dorms, and we put a kitchen in between so that at any time of the night, if you guys are hungry, you guys can just come down to the bottom of your dorm, and there's a place that you can eat, and someone will be stationed at the whole time. This was new, by the way. There was no food available. Plus, that, that kitchen can now help make food for the orphanage. Additionally, a gracious donor pr provided one air conditioning unit for each dorm. And for the first time ever, you guys, will, men and women, will be sleeping in air conditioning. And I looked around at the rest of the property. It's a pretty good-sized property, like a block long. And I said, did you get air conditioning too? I was like, you know, simply like, no, I did not. But he says, I want you guys to know something. The most important thing to us is our volunteers. We could not run this place without the support of the church and the volunteers, so we're ecstatic. And if another air conditioner shows up, then great. I said, no matter what, we're going to give it our all. We're here. Let's go. From that point on, I never spoke another word of English, and we did it nonstop. Every morning at about 6 o'clock in the morning, the kids would start waiting outside of the building. You could hear the talk. We would open up at about 8 o'clock, and for two hours, the, the whole community started showing up around the outside. We'd open the doors. We had carnival and face painting and beanbag throwing and all the stuff that you do for whatever. But they all wanted to get to Sunday to where we passed out the clothes. Sunday morning at 4.30 in the morning, we had to get up to set the tables up to get everything ready. 4.30 in the morning, you could already hear the people outside crackling, just voices. 4.30 in the morning to get what? To get like Salvation Army clothes, to get shoes. And we were so excited because we'd already seen God move so many, and so many different things on Friday and Saturday. So one table had like size kids, one table had like women's shoes, one table had like men's shoes, and then there was like a couple rows because there was a lot of stuff. And I remember opening that gate, 759, and I was pretty familiar with the kids at that point in time because I spoke Spanish. And this little teeny 10-year-old comes through first. He has like kind of okay pants, kind of disheveled shirt, and no shoes. And he has this 10, like maybe 15-year-old, 16-year-old sister with him. And I'm talking to them. I said, oh, great. Your mom sent you guys whatever. She said, no, no, I'm his mom. The 15-year-old tells me, no, no, I'm his mom. I said, oh, really? Okay, this is pretty rugged. And I said, how'd you guys get her? She said, we walked from the other side of town. I said, oh, okay, well, let's get you guys over there and get him situated. We got them situated, all those other people. I remember watching them come in, watching him get a brand new pair of shoes, sit down right there in the dirt with a million people starting to flood through the thing and put on those shoes, put on his shirt, and watch him and his sister walk out with their little clothes, and the smile on his, on his little dude's face. And the day went on, and we were so exhausted, and we wanted to shut down around 5. So about 4.30, we told people, last call, we were running out of stuff anyways. And just shutting it down at five, and we were all like high-fiving, and it was just a, a jovial day. It was just euphoria. And we hear a knock at the gate, because there's big, two big gates we close. And we hear this really soft knock at the gate. It's like five o'clock, a little bit dust. Open the gate, and there's my little 10-year-old. Complete black eye, shirt, all his buttons ripped out of his shirt. Pants still on him, his belt, we also got a belt. His belt is missing, he's back shoeless. Now it's five o'clock at night, and we're spent. The weekend's over. We're all done. Ministry has come. Ministry is gone. Volunteers are high-fiving. 
when the gates open again, and now without his sister. So he has walked back from wherever his neighborhood was when he got mugged for having his new clothes by himself to see if there's any shoes left, to see if there's any clothes left. At that point in time, the entire contingency, oh man, it still bothers me. The entire contingency of people realize all for one, right? First Corinthians 9, 16 is my, my passage in life. I do it all. I become rich to the rich. I become poor to the poor. I become whatever I can what, for the one, right? And now the one standing in front of me. For ministry, for the chance to do ministry, we, we rallied whatever we had left, got the one car that was on campus, the guy who owned the property had a car, and sent them down to the little downtown store. And we shot for that little kid like there was no tomorrow. Backpacks, jacket, anything we could put on him. We filled him up and drove him to his little thing. It was like a, a grocery store, like the side of a grocery store with no door on it. It was abandoned. And that's what they were living in, like this little 12 by 20 little room and it had like a little carpet rug in front of it and that's where his sister was taking care of him now to this date i don't know what happened to him and the rest of the story is simply this but you cannot give god and no matter what you do to serve god no matter what the cost is no matter what the threat is against you the blessing of serving god so surpasses anything else that you will ever accomplish in life i've had a good business i've seen a lot of really amazing things in life i've even had grandchildren's and weddings but i'm telling you right now there's no greater call in ministry than to walk someone through salvation. There's no greater call in ministry than to put shoes on someone's feet who needs shoes. The simplicity of our life has been built into us, the DNA. We've been built to care for one another. And if we're not caring for one another, if we're not leading people to the Lord, if we're not baptizing people, if we're not listening to testimonies about who God is, we're missing out on the whole reason why we're even here, why God's even asking you to go through this struggle that life is. So as we get ready to do communion today, and Randy comes up and shares communion with you, I want to just share one final thought. We do it for the one. You all are on a great call. This morning, no matter what you came in here with, no matter what your thought was about why you were going to church this morning, no matter where you are in your kind of ministry, you all are doing a great ministry. And the ministry that you're doing needs to be affirmed. So may I publicly affirm all of you, you're doing a great ministry. The wall that you're building is not just significant for you. The wall is significant because the city without a wall is not a city. And God said, through Jerusalem, I will make my name great. And through you and through the call that you're doing, God is making his name great. Do not underestimate the forces that are up against you. Trust me, they're not underestimating you. And when they see the kind of work that you're doing and they see the kind of effect that you're having for the kingdom of God, they're going to come at you with everything they got. And it's not going to be fair, and it's not going to be kind, and it's not going to be considerate. It's going to be undermined, it's going to be backdoored, and it's going to be malicious. Because it wants to impede you from going forward and saying, hey, kid with no shoes, at the end of the day, the world has beat you up and take all your stuff, it's not over. Because now we're about to go to the store, and you're going to be lavish like never before. Because that's who our God is, and that's what he's called us to do. Go the extra mile, stay focused keep on the wall, keep building. Ask your neighbor to go to church. Ask your coworkers to go to church. Go to life group. Join a life group. Bring whatever you can to the throne of God and say, God, this is what I have. May use it for the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be a lot, right? Three, three bread loaves and one fish. I think that's official of what it is. And then they count the men and 5,000, not including women and children. Who knows? 9,000 to 12,000 people. Bring what you have to the Lord. It's enough. That's all he wants. Bring what you have. Answer the call. God is sufficient. I'm going to invite uh, Matthew up here to play some stuff for 
Randy, and Randy's going to come up here and do communion with you. Let me just pray as Randy's coming up here. Father God, thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to serve. I pray that today, Father, that everyone listening and everyone in this house would realize just how great the call is in their life and that they're not suffering for no apparent reason. They're suffering because we are wrestling against forces. We are wrestling against things that are trying to take us away from being the shepherds that you called us to do. And every person in here has a significant person waiting for them to draw them through, to, to pull them to the other side. And I just pray this morning, Father, that as we take this communion and we have this opportunity to hear this encouraging word, that you would remind us that we're not doing it of our own strength. We're not doing it of our own volition. But we are doing it exclusively in and through the name above all names, your son, Jesus Christ. And if there's someone in this house this morning that doesn't know that Jesus Christ died for him, doesn't know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, Father, then in the same name, I pray that today, send them forward, send them back, let them find someone, an elder, anyone in this church that they can ask, who is Jesus? How do I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior? Father, we do in your son's precious and holy name. came from a um, family of farmers in Iowa. And I remember sitting on my grandfather's lap <clears throat> as we took the tractor and we plowed rows. And I remember him telling me about putting the seeds in and letting the soil be fertile and the rain come. And then coming back later on in the year and seeing the corn and how tall it was. That's kind of what we do. We till the soil, we help it, we throw seed in, and we water it. And we do it in different times of our lives with different people. You may or may not know it, but you're doing it. So keep watering and watch it grow. It's somebody's heart. It's time to do this. This is our time. So not long ago I said that the uh, elders were going to help and step in. My turn. Communion began <clears throat> on an annual celebration of Passover when Jesus told his disciples in the upper room to remember his sacrifice. As they ate the bread and drank the wine, just as Israel celebrated the sacrifice of the Passover lamb when the angel of death passed over their home. So believers in Jesus celebrate and remember his sacrifice of our sins when he died on the cross for us. Communion uses bread as a symbol of the body of Jesus and juice as a symbol of his blood. The act of taking communion does not save us. It's an act of worship and remembrance. This is what we believe. Many churches and denominations have different views of communion, but this is what we believe. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that you would still our minds and quiet our hearts as we approach the communion table today. 
we ask that you would draw each of us closer to you as we take this bread and drink this juice in grateful remembrance of what your son did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. In a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth, he wrote, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant, covenant of my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink this, let it be in remembrance of me. Paul also wrote, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. This is an opportunity for us to remember what he did for us on the cross. Take this deeply into your heart and open your mind and your heart what he has done for us so that we could do the same and pass it on to others. Peace be with you.
throw this back to Brad now. Can everybody hear my guitar? You can hear it. Day in history. Death has beat me, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is
Oh, yeah, outro. Yeah. All right.